0: This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle, uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti Heroes podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Antiheroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com/vip/antiheroes. Again, that's distrokid.com/vip/antiheroes. Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work. And we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on the podcast. everyone and welcome to another episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with your host Zach Blair. I am Zach Blair. Hello, how are you? How are you doing? Where are you at in life? What is going on with yourself? Let me know. So, today's episode, it's another one of those great episodes where I didn't know the guy going in. I wasn't super familiar with his work. My guest today is Jim Fairchild. Jim Fairchild is the guitar player for the band Granddaddy. Jim Fairchon also did Time in the band Modest Mouse. It seems like I'm interviewing and, and sort of commiserating with a lot of guys from Modest Mouse. Uh, my producer, Joe Plummer, uh, was the drummer for Modest Mouse. Shouts outs to Joseph Plummer. Um, I interviewed Dan Gallucci, which if you're a fan of the show, you heard that episode. And if you haven't heard that episode, please go back and check it out, because Dan is a fantastic person, wonderful musician, very interesting uh, interview. And today is no exception as well with Mr. Jim Fairchild. Uh, man, what an interesting guy, what an interesting player. We had such a great talk. We're sort of cut from the same cloth, I can tell. We view music similarly. Uh, it's sort of a lifestyle uh, as, as well as an art to both of us. Uh, it's just what the guy does. You'll hear that in, in the interview. It's just the guy just eats, breathes, and sleeps it. And uh, I love those types of folks. I love that they exist. I love knowing they're out there. And I'm glad now that I know Jim Fairchild. He's going to talk about his motivations. He's going to talk about his friendships. He's going to talk about uh, just a lot of things. And I ended up liking the guy a whole lot. And I feel like many times on this podcast so far, I feel like I made a new friend. I'll quit babbling and we can get into my interview with Jim Fairchild. Jim Fairchild. Hello, Jim Fairchild. We were already talking and I wanted to stop you. So now we're actually officially talking. So hi. Hey, Zach. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. We, we've not met. We've not met. And that's what's great about this podcast. I get to meet so many, well, you know, quote unquote meet, virtually meet so many people that we have this shared thing, which is we all play guitar. And that's that's kind of why I wanted to start this in the first place, because we come from different backgrounds, different musical backgrounds. Sometimes people I think have different backgrounds. We have similar backgrounds and uh, that's that's why this is all great. Anyway, so hi, hi, Jim. Hey, hey. great to meet you. Uh, well, you were telling me a guitar related story and I interrupted so we could start. So let's, let's
1: hear it. Well, so basically like the idea being that, like I like having nice guitars and I like having them set up properly and staying in tune and all that stuff. But I worked at this music store called Skip's Music in Modesto, California, which is where I'm from, and all the granddaddy guys are from. I probably worked there from the time I was like 18 to 20, or something like that, maybe 21. Anyway, there was this crazy, crazy, super nice guy guitar player named Scott Gould. He was an incredibly like gifted jazz guitar player. Could do like finger style, and like was the first guy that I had knew that had like the longer nails, and you know, could right. just shred. But I learned this absolutely essential lesson from him one time. Where this guy brought in a guitar and he's like, uh, it was like maybe an old K or a Stella or something like that. Action, you know, like this high and uh, like, impossible like, to play. Exactly. And he's like, he's like, hey, can, you know, could you guys set this up for me? And Scott was like, hey, well, you know, man, just uh. And he he went over and he tuned it up. And you know how sometimes people like pick up a guitar and they're just like, like rake right, pick up. That's what, like the first thing they do. Scott, who could do anything on a guitar, picked it up and went like this. You know i think we can get this guitar in shape and i just remember like he just strummed a c chord a fucking cowboy chord with the g in the bass and it was yeah. so beautiful i would go see him play all the time and we would drive to san francisco to see him play and it's just like oh it's about like the simplest line of communication with the instrument right like so whatever that right. is, that could also be something that's complicated and technical and stuff but this guy who could do anything on a guitar he chose to pick it up and go room and then I, when i would watch him in the future he worked at the guitar shop as well that's what he would do when he picked up a guitar it was like he would like figure out in the same way that like when you meet somebody the conversation starts at one place and then it, it has the potential to go to an infinite number of places but he wasn't like fast tracking it you know like he was figuring out like what his relationship was with that particular instrument and it was like oh dude that's the thing man that's the thing
0: that's that's so true and it's so poignant i mean we all know those guys that just because they're sort of in a room with other guitar players or musicians because we're a judgmental bunch and whatnot you think that every time you sort of have especially guys in guitar stores especially guys that are that work in the guitar stores you know they have to like i mean their whole bag of tricks at at every guitar just to show you what this guitar is capable of so i think that amount of restraint among somebody that's actually trying to like, either sell their wares or like, I can actually fix this guitar up. It would seem like somebody that really has a lot of ability would show a lot of ability on kind of a shitty guitar so they can go, I can fix it and it'll it'll play like this. So that's great.
1: Those things, you know, those things that like, kind of set you off early on. Okay, that's part of my path now. That's This is now integrated into like, my compass or something, you know?
0: Well, and I love that too, because you as a younger player, that was a big lesson for you. That was a big lesson in restraint when, at a time when you sort of, you know, we're sponges at that age and we're just taking in all of our elders. Like, you know, unfortunately, I had a group of people that, you know, showed me what to do and I'm sure you did as well. And it sounds like this was a story, you know, that sort of was formidable to your
1: career. Yeah, it absolutely was. And, you know, another one that comes to mind that's along those same lines, I remember Jason, my friend and granddaddy who I've now played with for 30 years, I would always write songs from the time I was really, really young. I would make songs. And and I definitely as a younger songwriter, especially had this like need to communicate that I was adept, that I had like some understanding of complex chord sequences or, or melodies or whatever. But my songs never really I was shy about them. I was embarrassed of them. Definitely wasn't playing them for people. But Jason, I remember from a very, very early age. So I probably met him when I was 20, maybe. Or maybe 19 and he was like 25 or something he was making these amazing songs and i remember him saying like you know man if i started all over i would just come up with the dumbest chord sequences i possibly could like just going back and forth from a like c to an a minor all day long and try to come up with a convincing song based on that because if you can do that you can do anything you know yeah if you can communicate something that resonates on some level with very simple ingredients that's kind of That's the ultimate trick, right? So like, there's been a million iterations and I've like figured out the solo to Crazy Train and like picked up (laughs) some Van Halen techniques and all these different things. So that's a good example, like something like Crazy Train, you know, it's just like, it's basically what I was just talking about. Like it's basically F, F sharp minor, there's an A, there's some D, there's an E, but it's a very simple chord sequence that that whole thing is written around. When you break it down, what's happening there is he's like, he's taken a minor, and the relative major, and he's just like dancing around that concept throughout this incredible fucking opus with like beautiful riffs, like shredding, playing off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at its core, it's a fucking cowboy song.
0: Yeah, it is. And and at mini rock and roll and metal and, and every, it's the same thing. You could actually, if you break them down to an acoustic guitar, like I need to get the essence of this song to a group of people and play it on an acoustic guitar, you can absolutely do that. And I've also found like with that song that you picked, I'm glad you picked that one, the riff is just spelling out the sort of chord structure really. You know, it's just if you spiderweb between those notes. It's
1: very simply just like getting within that S-R-M taking the the infinity of this thing that we pick up sometimes and using it to his advantage so it sounds like this sort of dazzling thing but that dude was so smart he knew that shit so he's like what can I do with these very simple ingredients I can do anything
0: well and it's it's the old adage of less is more and it's like oh you know I guess cliches are cliches for a reason right because they're they're fucking true you know take yourself from a band like granddaddy or a band like modest mouse and me from a band like rise against or Guard or randy rhodes from Ozzy Osbourne. we all adhere to the same shit you know we all you know are admirers of each other's work and when it you break it down to brass tacks it's all the same shit and mm-hmm. that's why i live meeting people like yourself so so let's back up a little bit granddaddy was sort of I don't. I wouldn't say your first band. Of course, we all had first bands, but that was was that your first band of note, like that took you on tour and did things
1: like that. Totally. Yeah, I started playing in bands when I was probably like thirteen or something crazy like that. You know, I was I was a baby, eighth grade or something like that. And then I met the Granddaddy dudes. I was in a band called uh, Suffer Bus, which was named after a Masters of Reality record. This guy Chris Goss. Who... I
0: love. I love that record. I love Chris Goss. <laughs> that, that that song Domino. That riff. Dude. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Oh, is that is that an e or is it in a drop d
1: he's probably in drop d because he, he's probably in drop d he probably yeah. informed jo- you know josh Homme wound up going down to c on those big songs but anyway so i was in a band called separate bus which was named after masters of reality record there's also that record uh the song uh well blue garden is got first record and then i found my place in bed six feet beneath your head Mom, yeah, yeah, so yeah. anyway so we i was in a band called supper bus we used to play with granddaddy all the time and jason and i we were just like very kindred spirits he was much further along than i was but he had a four track and we were both into recording and song structure and everything that we've already been harping on for ten minutes. Um. <laughs> so we would play a lot and I he had asked me early on if I had any interest in playing with granddaddy I said no because I wanted to continue playing with my friends who I'd been friends with for a long time and eventually I did wind up joining granddaddy after you know it was just like this inevitability and so now it's been I mean I joined granddaddy in 1995 and then we started touring in 1996 and you know it, it taught me everything that I know about this life you know it, it wound up leading to me joining Modest Mouse because Isaac was a big uh, granddaddy fan. And, you know, I remember, Zach, there was this crazy moment. And I know that this sounds so, like, attempting to mythologize, like, this quotidian moment. This really fucking happened. So after many decades, really, of drinking, um, I stopped drinking in 2016. And then I noticed these new, like, awarenesses coming into my body and brain and, and shit over the next year or whatever. So... Close to a year later, I had definitely had my moments of like, not ambivalence, but like kind of acrimony with granddaddy. Cause you know, it didn't go the way that I maybe would have written the script for it or something like that. But I'd been sober for about a year and I, I attribute this awareness to this. Cause I think I was just numb for so much of my life. We were on tour in Europe and this was 2017. And I had just found out that my wife, Natasha and our son, who's now five was coming. And so I had to leave this tour because we had just, moved into a new house and uh, Natasha was pregnant and she was, she had morning sickness and it was, I'm getting really personal here, but so I had to leave, but there was this moment where I knew that there was like five days left that I was going to be with these dudes. And I feel so thankful for this because I was sitting there in the van. I get chills thinking about this. And I remember like looking at these dudes and I get chills thinking about it fucking flush with this tremendous, just like love and light. And I was like, Holy shit, dude, I have this incredible life that I could have never imagined and it is totally down to my relationship with these four people. And I was looking around at them and I just felt so filled with like love and appreciation. And and the, the reason why I'm so thankful for that moment is because I, so I left that tour and then Kevin, it was the five of us for, you know, a long, long time, decades. And then Kevin, who's one of the original members of Granddaddy from 1992, he passed away at 41 years old, almost 42 years old. My- like a few weeks later he had a stroke and um and so it was it was really sad and you know we're we're still kind of assessing what that even means for granddaddy but dude i was so just like thankful like this thing that we fucking did together it brought me everything and it's because of the relationship that i have with these four people there's no one else in the world as close as i am to so many people and everything music has brought me like these guys are fucking everything i love them (laughs) that's so huge and i think i needed to
0: hear that um right (laughs) right now i think every band needs to hear that i think every member of every band needs to hear that because especially and i'm so sorry for your loss thanks man yeah losing a band member i've been on that end of things as well and there's nothing quite like it because you're sort of super family you know there's there's cuz you're right we we do this the most important thing in our life with this group of people and then we travel the world and we have so many firsts with them like
1: That's exactly like, it that's exactly it
0: right so the first time you've ever been to australia was with these three guys or whatever it might be exactly it and and all that that entails so you do spend more time with these people than your wife your best friends your family and so you get this l- different level of relationship. And I don't think any of us stop and do what you did enough, where we just look at them and take it in and go, holy fuck, A, I'm so lucky that I get to do this. We get to breathe this rarefied air. And B, I'm so lucky that that you guys have me. I'm so lucky that I have you. I'm so lucky, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I think I needed to hear that right now, Jim.
1: <laughs> That's the thing, you know. Like, if you get to do this for a long time, what you begin to realize is that the most important aspect of any of this is like possessing the knowledge that we probably do have slightly sharper antenna, or we have more of an ability to pay attention to it, maybe than some people do because of modern life or whatever. I'm not really sure how that splits, but and to be able to live with that because it's it's a weird it's a weird trait to possess because it can be heavy. And I think that's why so many of us turn to booze and drugs and shit, because it's like, sometimes you're just like, I need to turn this off. But if you go forward for long enough, you get those sharp antenna, the attenuated antenna is a gift. And if you can get yourself into a position where you can receive that comfortably without it feeling like paralyzing, without it feeling too bombarding. So those moments, it's like, not only do you need to be able to receive the stuff that allows you to put together melodies and like composition, <laughs> things like that, but also just like, the relationships that allow you to to travel this world in the way that we do. And so like Jason and I spent a, a day up here. I live in Ohio, California. He lives in down by LA, but um we spent a day here a couple of weeks ago. And it's just like it's just so crazy, dude, because like we don't even need to talk to each other to communicate. Right, <laughs> right. So crazy. We're hiking around in the mountains above our place and like I don't need to say anything to him. And he doesn't need to say anything to me. And we already know there was that. I'm not going to go into the conversation, but there was this thing. He's like, okay, I need to bring something up. And then I responded. I was just like, what about this? Before he even explained anything to me, he's like, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, okay, cool, done. And that applies to all these different aspects of life. So you get that information and it's out there for all of us, right? And so to be able to like receive it, I feel as a dude who's coming up on 50 years old, that's like, I want to be able to continue to do that and do it better Yeah, to pick up that information and, and, and receive it and process it in a way that's going to be fun and generative. And cause you know what, like this shit's, I'm sorry that I'm sound so soapboxy this morning. Maybe I'm feeling like, I don't know, something, but like, Go for it. it's, it's a big thing for us to do what we do and, and communicate for all of us. Right. Music is important. I'm not talking about it in an ego way. I'm talking about it like, Music is fucking important for people. Absolutely, and so to to have even like a fractional possession of stewardship of that, go for it, do it. You know, that's the way I feel now. That's what I'm telling myself. I'm telling myself that. I'm not trying to sound preachy.
0: <laughs> no, I, I I think it doesn't. It doesn't come off preachy to me at all. We have this small seat at the table, you and I. You know, and it's and it's something that when I. F- talk to other people that also do, and they're sort of taking it for granted. And they're not really appreciating it as much as that they should. It's like, well, there's a million other people that would love that seat. You know what I mean? That'll take it in a second. Yep. You know, so you better appreciate what you have and take it in while you have it. And that's why, you know, that's a, why I love doing this podcast and B why I love meeting people like yourself. Well, to back up a bit, what started you on guitar? Like, you know, what gave you the impetus to sort of pick it up?
1: I mean, I was really into music from a very early age. Like I was, mowing lawns to to get money to buy records when i was like four and five years old and you know i was into all the usual suspects when you're a kid in the mid-70s like beatles and kiss and my brother had a guitar around i started tinkering with that i got really into iron maiden so i was like i was just i'm not gonna say i was ahead of my time but i definitely processed music in a way that kids do now in the sense of like i loved the Beatles, as much as I loved Iron Maiden, as much as I loved violence, as much as I loved Metallica. Wait, as you much blew as I my lo-
0: mind. You just said violence. I've talked about violence so many times on here because I love Eternal Nightmare, that first record, so fucking much. I was a thrash metal kid.
1: I probably saw them play from 1988 through like 1991. I probably saw them play 40 times because Modesto was really close to... Yeah. The whole time Rob Flynn was still in the band, who went on to, you know, front Machine Head. Um, well, that era was
0: so fucking great.
1: Yeah, Eternal Nightmare is one of my favorite records ever made. And then Oppressing the Masses, I don't think it's quite as good, but it's also another great record.
0: And I just saw them like last year. They have like Bobby Gustafson from Overkill, but yep. it's still Phil Demmel came back. I was like, I wore out so many versions of copies of that tape. But also possess seven churches, like all the Bay Area stuff. Larry Leal, you know, early stuff. Larry Leal.
1: Yeah. We saw all that stuff super early. We were just lucky, you know. Like we we're skater kids from Modesto, and it was close to, you know, the Omni and the Stone. So we would, you know, I mean, I saw Violence was my favorite band, but I also, again, I loved U2. At the same time, I loved Ari. Me too. Me too. My friends, my metal friends, which that was most of my friends, they were like, "Oh, you like fucking sissy music too, or whatever," and I'm like it all made the same sense to me. I also loved Public Enemy. I also loved NWA. It was all... Me too. And so to me, it was this passion for music. And there was... So to this day, man, like, you know, Happiness by Elliot Smith is probably my favorite song ever recorded. But to me, I don't feel that that song has more merit or a different weight than like Seasons in the Abyss, which also is like one of the best songs ever written or recorded. I
0: agree.
1: I agree. Next to Eternal Nightmare. Next to um Straight Out of Compton. Next to like One by U2. Like all of those songs, I could put those all on a playlist and those all have the same gravity and weight to me. So in terms of like how did I move to guitar? I mean I was I got a bass first, but my brother always had a guitar, so I was always messing around with it. I took like a guitar class in high school I always knew how to play guitar. And then I would just do both. And I still, I mean, I I do like film and TV scoring stuff. And I have this project called Small Isles now. And I just, I go from guitar to bass to keys to, you know, whatever all the time. But all of that stuff meant the same to me. So if that all means the same to you, then what you're doing is, if you're the type of guys like we are, you're investigating that. So it's like, you learn how to play Seasons in the Abyss and you learn how to play one by you two, and you learn how to play Eternal Nightmare.
0: And right.
1: in, in some way, all of that stuff makes this, this thing, you know? Um, yeah.
0: That's another reason I love doing this podcast because somewhere there's a like a, a terror in the sort of universe because the guy from Rise Against and the guy from Granddaddy just waxed poetic on violence's Eternal Nightmare. And uh, I love that.
1: Yeah, dude, it's like it's just it's fucking magic and I'm still like It's magic. It's magic. It is magic and back to the infinity of those basically the two chords that Crazy Train is based on. You could split that a number of different ways, but let's just call it a what, one, three, six, seven, if you want it, or if you want to put it in A and then whatever, fuck. It's a one, four, five with a six, whatever. But the infinity that you can that just you can take with those chords, that exists in music all over. So like I know a fair bit about music after doing it for this long, having played in a couple of bands and, and also, you know, written with a bunch of people, made a bunch of stuff on my own. But here's the thing. I don't know fucking anything about music at all. Because then it's like when you open up like a Laraji album or something like that, you're like, this shit is so simple. Then you start going that way. And I, it just, it is infinite, dude. Like it, there's no, there's never any way to like, you continue to put arrows in your quiver, but, like, there's no way to, like, actually figure this shit out besides just, like, staying curious and continuing to investigate it through whatever your process is.
0: Right. And and it's not something – I mean, the theory of retiring, you know, for me, I I don't feel like this is something you retire from. I mean – I, I you No, know, I don't I, want I, to. I, you know, I don't want to. Like, at, at get-togethers and functions, normal folk have been like, well, you know, someday you'll – Retire? What's your retire? I'm going to die out there. What are you talking about? Like, I hope I go out that way. I read that Mark Sandman from uh the band Morphine, Morphine yeah. he went on he went on stage and was a fantastic man. Went on stage at a festival in, in Italy and died. Like, he just died in front of the whole crowd. And I was like, that's that's the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's a Viking's way to go. And and. I, I hope to go that way, but a, a, anyway, uh, you know, and I was going to tell you when granddaddy was, was like, why, when you started the band, I remember everyone loved granddaddy. It was just the band. It was everybody's favorite band.
1: Yeah. It was a it was a very, you know, it's just one of those unpredictable things. It's, it, I don't want to put us in any. I'm not trying to draw a false comparison, but it's a little bit like, or, or an undeserved comparison. That's a better way of saying it, but it reminds me of what people would say about like, pixies or right like velvet underground again i'm not putting us in sure. that zone at all but with granddaddy it was like it was all of us it was all the heads that <laughs> that were into it you know so we've had like these crazy moments man where like you know people who we really looked up to we'd get word like they love your stuff they you know they want to say hello or whatever and it's like it never really became this thing where it's like it got on like massive radio or anything which sure. is totally fine that's another thing to get to get any recognition at all is crazy but then to get it from you know just other people who make songs and and pick up cars that that was i'm just i'm really thankful for it it was it was it was a crazy time you know yeah
0: and and was were you in granddaddy and modest mouse at the same time or had you was granddaddy on a hiatus at the time you joined modest mouse
1: yeah not really i mean later um what wound up happening was like it just wasn't working with Granddaddy anymore. Um, so I had gone up to Portland for the summer of 2005, and I was really becoming close to Joe Plummer. And Dan Valucci, you know, who has been in Modest Nost in some form from the very early age, you know, a, a dude who I respect a ton. I don't know Dan super well, but I, but I really love Dan.
0: He's, he's a friend of the show. I interviewed him, actually, and he's a fantastic person.
1: Great guy, great composer. I mean, you know, like, he's he that dude is, like, He's really, really special guy, you know, guitar player, maker of of songs. But so Dan was kind of on his way out. Granddaddy still existed. Um, I was becoming close to Joe, and then Joe's like, hey, you know, Dan is leaving the band. Joe was still in Modest Mouse at the time. Um, would you ever consider playing with the band? You know, I think Isaac loves Granddaddy, he might hit you up. So I played a few shows with Modest Mouse, and then at the end of that little run, Dan had left the band, and then Isaac was like, Hey you know johnny mars coming in to uh write with us and so it became this thing was like you know there were there were all sorts of different (laughs) potential iterations of how that was going to work with me and johnny johnny joined the band for a couple of years after i had played those first shows and then and then i wound up joining again in 2008 when johnny left and then i played with modest mouse until 2021 and then i just i couldn't do it anymore but at the end of that I mean there was one specific time where it's like i went directly from a modest mouse tour in 2016 onto a little granddaddy tour the same thing in 2017 where it's like i went from a granddaddy run to directly into modest modest there were a couple of years of overlap there and then when kevin passed away there was no more overlap
0: and so right now the future sort of influx for granddaddy
1: you guys are trying to figure out what's going on yeah i mean i think Jason and I have been talking, I, th- I think there's probably going to be some stuff in the future. I don't know exactly what form that will take, but I'm pretty sure that there will be some, some granddaddy things in the future, you know? Right.
0: Well, I'm sure everybody's looking forward to that. I'm sure. You know, it's weird after going home too, after being such a guy, touring so much, and then we all got a taste of it during the pandemic. But man, it's so weird. Like guys like you and myself, what, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't like I've said on here almost every episode because I talk to other lifers where it's like I don't fucking golf, you know I don't I don't do anything else. I I I should I guess you know what I mean.
1: I mean all I do is sit in room and write. Like I'm running an art for Dangerbird, which is amazing. I love that. That's great. It's so fun and it's like it's mostly younger artists, so it's like helping them figure it out. Like you know I don't know what your experience was like, but When Granddaddy was coming up, we had cool people around us, but no one was really like telling us, like, this is how the business works. Sure. Right. So, part of it is like, I have a bunch of experience making songs and I still do that. So, I can help them with that the bands that I sign where they need it or the artists that I sign where they need it. But also, it's just like, in truth, this is the total of what this business looks like. And here's how you can operate within it. No one told me what master copyrights were. No one told me what publishing copyrights were, how those were split. How so helping with that stuff is fantastic and then i have this project called small isles which is we just uh we're now signed to modern recordings which is a division of bmg it's a label that i love a ton it's like they kind of lean a little bit neoclassical and small isles is all like a all instrumental stuff and it, i call it imagine scores for imaginary films okay um so
0: that's really cool
1: yeah we've got an ep coming out in a couple of months and then there's another one that's coming out in the summertime and then we we just wrapped up scoring one film and we're doing another one so i just you know man like that was a big part of the reason for not wanting to be in modest mouse anymore like it's because i set this like ideal for myself that between the ages of 50 and 60 i was gonna fucking make so much good music like that curiosity we were talking about yeah i want to engage with that and i want to do it every single day i want to like make music and so in modest mouse i'm not complaining But the way that that sort of system works is it's more like you put out a record, however often you put out a record and then you tour the shit out of it for maybe years, maybe half a decade, which is totally fine. I'm not in no way am I criticizing like the way that Modest Mouse runs. It's just like I want to make music. I want to make as much music as I can. I want to investigate chords and melodies and like really get in there and try to do this shit.
0: Yeah i think that's that's wonderful because you know i i do things a little we do things a little more like modest mouse i mean we're always on the same festivals you know it's always that yeah
1: yeah I, i've played a bunch with you i know oh that. of
0: course of course i've yeah. seen it you know uh we're on you know the same time on different stages in fucking, you know wherever in norway um yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> for for years uh and that's the way i do it and, and as a result, I do find that I'm not making enough music. I do a thing here in Austin when I'm home with some of my best friends called Dracula's. That you know I'm able to write a lot more and record a lot more with that. But uh-huh. I do. What's that like? It's Dracula's is like the Dickies, Devo and the Buzzcocks. Wow, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all it's stuff that I've written that I like could, was not good for anything else I did. So I was like, let's start this whole other band.
1: What an incredible name too.
0: Yeah, it's uh, yeah Dracula's. Mike Weeby's the singer, and he's a real character. He's, like, he's a he's singer for a band called the Riverboat Gamblers. Oh yeah, and actually did a lot with Galucci with uh, his other band, uh,
1: Mercy Devils.
0: Mercy Devils. Goddamn, why is space on that? They did a lot with those guys. And um, anyway, so it's that kind of thing. You also have a solo thing called All Smiles, correct? Yep. Small Isles and All Smiles. Okay.
1: Yeah, Small Isles is like Imagine scores for imaginary films, and then All Smiles. At this point, if it's if it's anything at all, there, I do have a new records worth of stuff. But it has to be me and Joe, Plummer. Uh-huh. Like I, Joe and I have such a magical musical connection. It's it's very easy for us to make music together. We used to do it all the time on the road with Modest Mowful. We would just like post up in the day room. Like Joe, I got a riff. He's like, would literally like turn over the fucking garbage can underneath the desk in the Hyatt and be like with a mallet. And it's like, great, that's fantastic. Yeah. So
0: he'll be editing this. So. <laughs> um. But I do have to ask you gear situation. So was your rig similar between Granddaddy and Modest Mouse? Did no. you always kind of know it? So was it drastically different?
1: Totally different. Like I'm looking at my Modest Mouse floor rig right here, and it's got, let's see, 2, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14 pedals, and there were another couple on the side on a little satellite. Damn. So 16 pedals. Granddaddy is like a reverb, an overdrive, the rat and a delay that's it wow no and a trim so simple and a trim is just for one song so granddaddy's very much more like uh more straightforward in a way so granddaddy forever i played this blue strat which is in the next room i'm not going to go get it but um the old blue strats matching headstock one from 1995 i love that thing and then for whatever reason that worked for the whole first iteration of the band and then when we started doing stuff again in 2012, I was like, this doesn't work as well. And I went back and forth between a couple of guitars. And then you probably know Michael Schulz at Fender.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know Michael, sure.
1: So, like, Michael and I have a great relationship. And also Paul Waller, at, who's one of the master builders there. Paul's amazing. Both those dudes are, like, those are my guys, man. I fucking love those guys. And they've helped me so much. And, yeah. like, in investigation, right? Like, what's, what's working, what's not? But Michael sent me this, uh, one of the Fender Shawbucker Telecasters. Okay. And after years of playing a Stratocaster in uh Granddaddy, I tried that and it was perfect against Jason's Jazz Master. You know, jazz masters have such a specific sound. Right. And for whatever reason the Stratocaster, maybe I was playing it differently, I don't know, but the Stratocaster was not working against the Jazz Master anymore. It was like the colors seemed to conflict.
0: Right. Whereas right. the
1: telecaster put that shit in the bass pickup, a lot of palm muting, like that's perfect for Granddaddy. Yeah. But then with modest mouse, I would try the same guitar. You know that band is built around it's built around the three of them so like eric isaac and jg but definitely the guitar world is like isaac has a huge sound yeah the the humbucker telecaster there's no way there was just too much we're both trying to like put a quilt up right so with modest mouse the stratocaster is great it's got to be single coil because like it's got to be a very focused sound it's not that you can't occupy space in that mix you have to dance with Isaac, right? Sure. Just as I have to dance with Jason, but Isaac is, is very like it's, like, it's almost like yeah. a metal sound. Right. And so with the Stratocaster, it allows me to be more pointless, you know, and like you're more of like a starry approach sonically. You can't take up too much like sonic bandwidth.
0: With three guitar players, it's interesting in rock music because you're right. You do have to find your corner. You do have to find, Over. you know, and Chris Shiflett and Foo Fighters were saying that's why he's he's using P90s now because, you know, Dave and Pat both use humbuckers. And so he sort of went to P90s uh-huh. and, and found this whole sort of spectrum for himself. Um, yeah, dude. Yeah, I find with my guitar, my guitar uh and rising kids, TM, trademark, um, my partner, uh, Tim McElrath, just plays more. There's more mid-range in the guy's hands do you know what i mean i tend to play so much woofier, like you know and he's i think it's my thrash metal background now honestly but and so Mm. we could play the same rig and we just sound sonically there's something different happening so
1: yeah that's such an amazing thing right like yeah you hear that if you hear about the legendary guitar players like hendrix would pick up a guitar and it just sounded like fucking Jimi hendrix right end of story and i think that's I love that. Yeah, I'm probably the same way. You know, after you do it for long enough, it's just like you, the tone is here.
0: It's in here. Yeah, it's here. It's here. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Well, I always ask people, is there one that got away? Did you ever get something stolen or lost that you've pined away for and
1: tried to look for? No, I mean, there's there's one guitar that I kind of regret getting rid of. And that's like, I have two of them right here, but they're not the, they're not the right one. Let me see here. Um,
0: Jim is walking away.
1: Um, this guy right here is a similar one, Oh! but, uh, this is a Fender bullet yeah, the from 1981. Bullet. I had one that was also an 81, but it had the metal pick guard, but it goes up into the anchor points on the bridge. So that the bridge and the pick guard are a continuous piece.
0: Really? I've never seen that.
1: Yeah. And that thing sounded, it had a very specific sound. there was a point where i was like i have too much stuff and i got rid of it and now i definitely am looking to get one of those again i've never seen that on a bullet i've mostly hung on to you know i mean the granddaddy guitar is still here um the main modest mouse one for the last several years is at home right um i guess kind of you know this one right here this this is my favorite guitar that i own this is the fg 180 the nippon Gakai kai yamaha from yeah probably a 68 or something these are i mean these strings are old old yeah but, yeah, yeah you know um these are as, essentially martins from what i've been told so like
0: i've heard that yeah
1: in the late 60s sometime yamaha hired like the the main luthier who had been at martin forever to come over and teach all of these japanese luthiers how to construct essentially martins right exact same specs except for they had closed back tuners and these have open back tuners but the first number of Elliott records those amazing acoustic guitars when he's playing a steel string it's it's, it's his old oh fp 180 no,
0: i did not know that
1: yeah wow and I, so they're you know they're amazing guitars this thing is older than i am that's the only guitar that i own that's older than i am and i've just played this so so much and i love that thing and isaac used to play it for his acoustic guitar on on the road and it's just that thing has been a total gift
0: what is that guitar that isaac plays that weird like double
1: cutaway. the Wicks, it's this guy Brian Wicks from okay. Montana, okay, who's made him. I guess you know there's the main one that he had from way back, and then he's he's had a that I know of. There's a, at least another two or three. Okay, um Brian's a really nice guy, great guitar maker, I and always wondered what that was. And then he, you know, he makes those bridges. I mean, I don't have one. They're made specifically for Isaac. i'm You probably heard Isaac talk about them but like, or maybe you haven't. But so it's like they're kind of based on a Floyd Rose. But there's no arm right. so there's like this rocker piece that is dyed into the bridge that goes up at like a 45 and then goes back again parallel to the plane of the top and he puts his really poem underneath and goes like this and then with the rocker with the 45 like this when he wants to raise it in pitch he just goes like this so plants his <laughs> right. pinky so all those crazy things that he's doing which he used to do with Floyd Roses on shitty guitars when he was a kid then he's doing it on those Wicks and um It's in the the music you you hear
0: him do that a lot Totally. It's in that yeah. s- the float on it's in the in the verses and between like yeah. punctuated vocal he's kind of doing that yeah. all of
1: those riffs. Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay. That's Isaac's sound, you know, like and he's one of those dudes who like I've heard people occasionally kind of underestimate him as a guitar player they're like oh he's a great lyricist or great songwriter which is obviously totally true but he is an absurd guitar player you know like so unique fucking it's crazy what that dude does with a guitar he doesn't know what he's doing yeah you know he doesn't he doesn't even know what a g chord is he makes those shapes but he doesn't know the names of them right but like intuitively i remember like having this conversation one time where there was this uh this engineer who was working on some recording that we were doing and he's like yeah i don't know he's he's you know he's not going to be able to do it he's he's just can't come with the part i was like here's what's going to happen you're going to queue up the thing he doesn't know what he's going to do yet because maybe it was a song that like he had mostly been singing on or something and i I was like he's going to work on it for a while it's going to seem like he doesn't know what he's doing and then it's going to come to a point at whatever 10 passes where you're like holy shit i have never heard anybody do something like that with a guitar you know
0: right and and I think that when somebody doesn't exactly know, that's when the most interesting, compelling stuff happens. Dude, yeah. and they do it with conviction. You know what I mean? Like the guy that doesn't know what a G chord is, but he knows, it, but he's doing a G because of his ears. That shit's bananas. A, and B, they're going to take more risks than guys like you and me. Even though, go to back what you said originally. We know some shit, but we don't know shit. But we know some mm-hmm. shit. The problem is we do know some shit, so we're not going to go for the you know swing for those fences, you know.
1: Yeah, he's he's such an amazing guitar player. You know, yeah, I love playing guitar with him.
0: Um, and so, so any uh, will you be doing anything with Moss Moss again, or is that?
1: I mean, you know, I left the band, but you know, I also don't know if anybody ever leaves that band because it's like, you know, using Dan as an example. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying this is gonna. I have no idea. Right, right. Basically, but like, you know, Dan contributed to *Lonesome Crowded West* and then nothing to do with internet artica writes all of good news with isaac yeah nothing to do with the next record because it's johnny and then the next record there's like a couple of songs i mean there's one called wicked campaign which uh dan wrote the like st- sort of base of the song or the-, the structure of the song and then i came in and like wrote this kind of guitar hook on it so i was stoked because you know like right. dan's been sort of in and out of the thing forever and then we wound up collaborating on a song independently so, you know, I guess I would never rule, I definitely would never rule anything out. I mean, I love writing music with with Isaac, all those dudes, you know?
0: Well, you never know. Music is in our careers and our jobs and our lives are so, you know. And that's what I love about it. I love that you, you never, you you fucking never know, you know. Well, Jim, it's so great to meet you, man. And I won't keep you much longer, but uh, I feel like I made a friend today. Yeah, you totally did, man. I
1: can't wait to meet him back. Thank you so much for the chat dude. absolutely
0: thank you for, for for doing it uh and everybody go check out uh small aisles and all smiles which i think is a, <laughs> a great little uh yeah man well, well jim we'll, we'll talk to you soon man thanks again thank you zach didn't you like that guy i know i did you know with him and dan galucci and uh John Schmerzel, and so many people I've interviewed on here that I haven't met IRL. I so look forward to meeting them, and I have a long list of those folks now. As always, I would be remiss not to leave you with some uh, wonderful example of Jim Fairchild's amazing guitar work. As you heard, Jim does a solo thing called uh, Small Isles. He also has a solo thing called All Smiles, which you see what he did there? But this is gonna be from his uh, Small Isles EP. It's coming out real soon. It might be already out by the time this episode airs. And if it is, go to anywhere you get music and check out uh, Small Isles. Uh, The EP will be called Out in the Sunset. And this particular track is called With Nature. And you'll hear Jim does this really cool, uh, this riff, sort of chromatic descending, arpeggiated cool riff. And uh gives you a good example of his wonderful guitar playing. So yeah, check out Small Isles, check out Jim Fairchild, check out granddaddy, check out his work with Modest Mouse. What a player, what a musician, what a guy. Um, I'm also going to thank here at the end the wonderful folks at Jim Dunlop and MXR pedals, check out what they're doing over at jimdunlop.com. And also our new friends at Seymour Duncan. I say new friends because they're new friends to the show, but they've been my friends for quite some time now, and I love them all. If you can find a better pickup, you can be my guest, but you would be hard-pressed to. They've got something for everyone over there at Seymour Duncan if you're a guitar player. So go on over to SeymourDuncan.com and check out what they have as well. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, signing off, I am Zach Blair. This is the Antiheroes Podcast, and I really, really appreciate you listening. I would love to thank each and every one of you in person
1: for IRL.